0: Excuse me. Uh, Sickness is running rampant, apparently. Um, And so I got something going on. I don't know what it is. But we'll get this through together. Get through this together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time when we can gather as your body. When we can gather and praise your holy name. Lord, we pray for this service as we open up your word, that you bring it alive to our minds and bring it home into our hearts so that we know it and we live it. Lord, I pray for this time as we look at um, the birth of your son here, the God-man, God incarnate in the flesh, that we can remember that this is the salvation story for all of us that we can remember why we celebrate this season. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start a series today as we lead up to Christmas called, Behold Your God. This is a cry from the Bible. It actually is a cry from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah spends this chapter developing and showing how great God is. And right in the middle of that, he says, Behold Your God. Look at his greatness. Look how powerful he is. Look what he has done for you already. And that's the same cry for the Christmas season Behold your God. As we remember the Son taking on flesh and stepping down into the world, we say that same cry Behold your God. It's funny when you read the Bible, <clears throat> depending on the translation, you see again and again this word "Behold" start to pop out. This word "Behold" is is uh, is translated from in the Hebrew the word uh, "kazah" and it's a kind of fun name word "kazah" and in Greek "I do." And you know it can be translated as a simple look, but when you look at it context, it always seems to go a little deeper than that. It's really ca- this idea of beholding is calling us to. Uh, people to pay attention to what is about to be said, to perceive what is about to be communicated, to notice or discern, to play close attention, to examine or to behold what someone's about to be about to do. And we know there's a difference between beholding and merely looking. You might look at a light bulb, but you behold a sunset. You might look at a website, but you behold a piece of work work or art. You might look at a friend's face, but you behold your love. Beholding goes deeper than just merely looking. It is this idea that we are meditating, marinating, examining, savoring something when we behold it. And so it's no coincidence that when we come to the narratives of celebrating the birth of Christ, again and again, we're told to behold. Look at this. Pay close attention to what is happening. Examine it. See what is happening. And So for these next three weeks as we are leading to Christmas, we'll be looking at the act of beholding in the narratives leading to Christmas. And today we're starting in Matthew 1, verse 18. So here are your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 1. If not, it's going to be on the screen. And it says this, starting in Matthew 1, chapter 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to diver- divorce her quietly. Which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. That's the story of Christmas. It's <clears throat> a story that we should celebrate on Christmas. But we lived in a very fast-paced society that seems to always just maybe get a little faster. We live in a society that's kind of like an incubator for busyness. There's so many things going on. There's so many things we put on ourselves to do. You know, Work can be crazy. Family can be crazy. And there's so many distractions that we can plug into or stream online and that we quickly can be have some AD, ADD of the mind. And if we're not careful, that goes in from the mind and into the soul and we have ADD of the soul. And we're easily distracted and pulled away by glittering lights and things that shine and our minds wander and that's hard to sit and behold. It's funny, during Christmas time, when we're supposed to be celebrating the birth of our Savior, it seems like it even gets worse. You got to worry about completing your shopping list. You got to worry about all the parties that are planned or that you have to plan. You got family coming in or maybe you're visiting family, and it seems to be going nonstop. And yet, this time, Christmas is a time we invite you all to slow and behold. Take a breath. Look at who Jesus is and behold your god and also we recognize that christmas time could be a time that's not as joyful for you as it could have be that you might be experiencing grief or at this season of time it could be one where depression hits seems maybe a, more acutely and in whatever you're struggling with the answer is the same is that you take a breath and you behold your god for that is why we celebrate and that is what we remember this season that jesus came so we behold your god and when we read in matthew 1 18 through 25 we see the account from joseph's perspective as he receives a word from the angel that hey believe mary she truly is pregnant with the son of god and in this, the angel is pushing forward his his explanation. The gospel writer of Matthew makes it very clear that th- we should believe this because it's to fulfill the scriptures. And to sum up, I would say, when we behold the Lord, how do we do that? We behold the word. That's how we behold your God. That's how we know God is that we behold the word. And that's really what Matthew 1 is driving us to. Behold the word. Draw attention to the promise that Jesus of Jesus has found throughout Scripture. That this is God's plan from the beginning to when he is born. That he has laid it out for us to look. And that if we look at the scriptures in the Old Testament, we see this is the truth. That Jesus was promised, and he's coming to fulfill what God had spoken. That's the focus of Matthew's account. And so we remember that today. Behold the word. That's the message that we receive from Matthew as he tells us Joseph's side of the story. Well, what is Joseph's story here? We've read this account probably countless times If you grew up in church. If you have been around the church during Christmas season, this is read uh, many times. But put yourself in Joseph's shoes and see yourself in his story. He's going about his own life according to his own plans, and yet they're not quite what God has planned. Isn't that the story of probably most of our lives? He's got this girl. He's betrothed to her. In the Jewish society, this is a legally binding agreement that they're almost the betrothed. (coughs) And then she comes and tells them a story. An angel came and told me, I'm going to be pregnant, and it's from God. Nowhere in the Bible do we have that conversation recorded when Mary told Joseph. All we have is Joseph. Going about his business is all of a sudden realizes my betrothed is with child and it ain't mine. And so he does what he thinks is right is he's going to quietly divorce her It says he's a just man, and he actually can take that several ways. You can say he's a just man, so he does it quietly. He doesn't want to bring shame on her. He doesn't want to involve the law, the Jewish law and the customs with this. He's going to do it quietly. Or you can say he's a just man, meaning that he follows the law, and by the law, he had to divorce her, for that was not how it operated in their society. Either way, he decides to do it quietly. And as he's contemplating these things, an angel visits him in a dream and basically says, Joseph, she tell telling the truth? Listen to her. Don't fear taking her as your wife for what she has said is true and she will bear a son and you are to name him Jesus. And so he does what the angel told him to do. But it's interesting. The gospel writer, at the end of this dream, where Joseph receives this command to not be afraid and take her as his wife, the the gospel writer of Matthew says this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. That he, the gospel writer connecting this event with the scriptures says this is fulfilling the scriptures, and that same phrase. that this took place to fill what the Lord spoke by the prophet or this took place to fill the words of the prophet are used 10 times in Matthew. There's there's this common theme in Matthew that's setting up this fact that Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. That what is spoken in the Old Testament is fulfilled and comes to fruition through Jesus Christ. And that he brings it together, that he truly is the promised one, that he's the Messiah that the Jewish people have been waiting for. It's actually a major theme, not just in Matthew, but through the whole Gospels. I love how at the end of the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus has resurrected and he's walking with some of his disciples that don't recognize him, to the road of Emmaus, and how it says that he begins with Moses and the prophets, and he interprets to them in all the Scripture the things concerning himself. That again and again we see this theme that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He fulfills the law that he was promised. He are signs that point to him and he completes them and fulfills them and it points directly to him. That Jesus is to fulfill what, this, what the word spoke about, this Messiah. There's a funny thing about when you look at fulfilling these prophecies. Some of them, you could think someone went and tried to fulfill them, that they sought to do it. And some you just can't do on your own. Like the fact that where he was born or who his parents were or the lineage he comes from. And people have taken <clears throat> the prophecies of Jesus and they try to look at the mathematical probability of one person fulfilling them. And they say, well, we, there's hundreds of prophecies about Jesus. Well, let's not do hundreds. Let's just take eight. Let's just take eight prophecies about Jesus. What is the probability, the mathematical probability, that one man would fulfill just eight of these? Well, some really smart people that like numbers came up to the probability of one person doing this being one and one to the 10 to 17th power. That's one out of one with 17 zeros behind it. That's a big number. I I don't even know how to say that number. And to put it more in perspective, they say, well, it's like if you filled the state of Texas with silver dollar coins, two feet deep, and then marked one special one, and just kind of threw it somewhere in there that no one knew it was, and then you blindfolded someone and they, on their first time, picked up that specially marked coin, that's the probability of just one person fulfilling eight prophecies of Jesus. But yet, he fulfills the hundreds of prophecies that point to him as being the Messiah. And so we see that this, there's a there's a reason why Matthew and the Gospel writers are making this point that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. It's not just probability. They're not thinking those terms, but they're making it very clear. This is not coincidence. This is not happenstance. This wasn't just lucky fulfillment on Jesus' part. No, this was God's plan unfolding before their eyes, that everything they knew about God that they see in the Old Testament was coming to fulfillment, was coming to completion, that this is the time to be alive where we can see and behold behold your god in the flesh coming to save you. And so they see and so the Matthew, Matthew and the gospel writers are making that really clear to us. Behold your god by beholding the word and knowing that he was to come. And Matthew, by beholding the word, he points back to one specific prophecy. Isaiah 7 14. this is the prophecy that is quoted this is to fulfill what was spoken by by the lord through the prophet that the virgin will have a son and he'll be called emmanuel god with us this is this is a quotation from isaiah 714 and we see it so often at christmas time don't we we see it and we know it and we almost equate it with christmas and we kind of just take it in that context but have you guys ever read isaiah 7? 14 and following, and all around there. If I read that by myself, I would not think that's talking about Jesus. Now, we like things really clear cut. We really like to, we would love the heading in our Bible that says, this is talking about the Christ, pay attention. But when we read it, we're like, wow, this is, I don't understand what's going on in Isaiah. And when the people wrote, when Isaiah wrote Isaiah, it really was not talking first and foremost about what is to come. Let's talk about what's going on right now. And when we read Isaiah 7, we, we come into a situation where King Ahaz from Judah is being reassured by the prophet that the promise of the Lord is going to happen. This promise that the King Ahaz of Judah is going to defeat the northern enemies that are coming down to him. And, and, and Isaiah says, actually, as a sign to show you this is true, a child will be born. And so when they think about the context there, the most logical explanation of who this child is is in fact Isaiah's own son, who was named, uh, let me try to do this, Amayr Shaha Hashbaz, lovely name, which means quick to plunder, swift to the spoil. That for, their, for the people at that time, they were concerned, this prophecy is, came fulfilled in this child but yet they knew something was off for not all of the things came true that some of the things came true but that isaiah 7 is connected to isaiah 9 and it's speaking about the same child and we just sang isaiah 9 when it's speaking about this child and it says such things as For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be God, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, that's not talking about any normal child, even born of a prophet. And so what we got here is this this concept of a double fulfillment, that during their time, that this child born to Isaiah was assigned to King Ahaz, that that the promise of the Lord was going to be true, but the ultimate fulfillment comes in Jesus when he truly is wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, that this is a fulfillment of this prophecy. That there was a son, promise that kind of fulfilled the promise of God. Then, but the ultimate fulfillment, the complete fulfillment, comes when Jesus Christ is born, the Son of God, to save mankind and be Mighty God in the flesh, to be the Wonderful Counselor that we need, to be the Prince of Peace that we long for. And so we see this fulfillment in Isaiah of Isaiah seven. We see the fulfillment of Isaiah 9 and following that this is the true one we've been waiting for Jesus Christ born for us. And we know that when we behold the word and see that truth. And the fact is that the whole Old Testament foreshadows Christ. You guys know what foreshadowing is? You probably learned that in like 11th grade lit. It's this is concept that in literature, maybe in movies, you, there's, there's things that are put there that kind of are hints, signs, warnings, um, kind of pointing to what's going to happen, and that the whole Old Testament has these things embedded in them that point to the coming of our Messiah. For instance, not to point to our coming Messiah, but for foreshadowing, I love the show Law and Order. If you guys have not seen Law and Order, you're missing out. The original. I'm am a purist in that fashion. Um I I spent most of my well that sounds horrible. Most of my college career sitting on the couch watching reruns of Law and Order and Saved by the Bell. And uh but Law and Order is great. You know, is it, is it, it's great. Why? Because they are great at foreshadowing. Because in the first frames you kind of like, "Oh, they probably did it." And there's hints, there's these clues that on the well-written episodes point to things that are happening that this is going to be the outcome. That's foreshadowing. And in the same way, when we read the Old Testament, there's these clues, there's these signs, there's these motifs, these themes, these words that keep on reoccurring that serve to point to the fact that there's an ultimate fulfillment of this promise coming, and it's Jesus Christ. And that when you look at the Old Testament, you see again and again that the promised child is a recurring theme. It started way back in the beginning in, G- in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 when there's a promise given that there's going to be an offspring of this woman who's going to conquer and crush the head of the serpent. And again and again we see a promised child to Abraham that he's going to have descendants that's going to come through this promise, promised this, descendant even though he's old. And again and again we see there's a promised child given to Rachel. There's promised children given to Hannah. There's promised children again and again given to the the people of the bible and it's this theme that's recurring and playing over again and again pointing to the ultimate promised child who's going to come for us all jesus christ the god man the second person of the trinity born in the flesh the history is important to the gospel writers because they're looking back and they're saying, this Jesus was not born in a vacuum. This Jesus was not born just in the Roman world, but this Jesus fulfills all of the Jewish expectations of the Messiah, the Christ. Which is why Matthew starts with a genealogy listing where Jesus came from. You guys know the genealogy of Matthew? The part you probably looked at and skimmed over and didn't really read? because it consisted of a lot of names that you don't want to say. I get you. But it's there for a reason. It's there for a reason. Why? To prove who Jesus is and that he is the fulfillment of this promised child. Is to prove that Jesus is a son of Abraham. He's Jewish. The promise that was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 is being fulfilled ultimately right here in Christ. That's through Jesus that Abraham becomes a blessing to all the nations of the world. And it points back and says he's a son of David. He's from the lineage of David. Why is that important? Because David was promised that there would be a son born from his lineage that would rule on his throne forever. And so Jesus now fulfills that promise. He is the divinic king who's going to rule forever on David's throne. And so this to prove a point that all this history, all these people, all these names we can't pronounce, they're there for a reason to point to the truth that all of the Old Testament foreshadows and points to Christ. And we know that when we behold Christ. The word. For through beholding the word, we get to behold our God and see him for who he is. And looking at this prophecy and this passage in Isaiah, we see the greatest promise of the Christmas season and what they label Jesus: that he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us that is the greatest promise for that is what we all long for for humanity you and me and all of us were created to have a relationship with god to walk with god to talk with god to be with god but ever since adam and eve took a bite of the forbidden fruit that was broken they used to enjoy that. In the cool of the day, God would walk with them in the garden. But when they sinned, when they rebelled, that was broken. That was stripped away from humanity. And since then, all of us, all humanity has been lounging in in, 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 in torment of this broken relationship with our Creator. And that since then, the story of the Bible is God taking steps to set into place His redemption plan to bring us back to Him. And that He gives us little tastes and foretastes of what it will be like. And so he leads his people out of Egypt by a pillar of a cloud and a column of fire at night. And it's just a little bit of what it was going to be like when God is with his people. Now in the desert, in the tabernacle, and then later in the temple, when God comes down and he dwells in the most holy of places, and it's a kind of glory, his glory cloud is there for his people, it's kind of a taste of what might be like when we are re- back in relationship with him. But the problem is, there's a barrier there. It has to be mediated through priests. It has to be mediated through ceremony that we can't be with him. We can't have God with us like we need, like we long for until to us a child is born who is God in the flesh. That God came down as one of us to be with us and to break those barriers. And now, truly, we have Emmanuel. God with us, that we can know him, that we can love him, we can see him, we can see him and he, it can invites us and moves in our lives for us to come to him and follow him. And all of these glimpses were just glimpses, foreshadows, shadows of what is to come when we see Christ. And when we see Christ, we know that this here is why we celebrate for God dwelling among us is the start of the fulfillment of His salvation plan. It is the start of the good news. For when you think of the good news, the gospel, that Jesus came and he lived for us and he died for us and he stood in our place for our sin and that he rose from the grave and he ascended to the Father and that he's waiting and is seating on our behalf with the Father and he's going to come back. When you think about the gospel, the good news, guess what? It can't happen unless he first comes and is one of us. Without sin, without blemish, living the the life we cannot live so that he can give his righteousness to us and we can be with God forever and we know that when we behold the word which makes us behold our God So this Christmas season, I invite you to do that, to behold the word, that whatever you're doing, mix in and have at the center the word of God that points to why we celebrate. Why do we celebrate this season? Because we remember Jesus. And who he is. By beholding the word, we know who God is. We see his character. We see his plan of salvation. We see that he's moving heaven and earth to save us. We know your God by beholding the word. And by beholding the word, we see who Christ is. We see that he's a fulfillment of the Old Testament. We see the promise that he gives us. We see the truth that he's going to come again. And so we behold and know who Christ is through the word. We see that plan of redemption, but not only we see it, but we we see yourself ourselves in it. That this is not something that has happened. This is something right now we're experiencing the after effects and we're part of it. We're in that plan that God is now calling each and every one of us to come home and we see the truth of it when we behold the word. That one of the most powerful things we can do this Christmas season is do that. Behold your God. Through beholding the word. And seeing how he saves us. I'd like. Just to finish with this thought. That the greatest promise. Is Emmanuel God with us. But God is still. With us. Sometimes we can get in this mindset that, yeah, God was with us when Jesus was here, but then he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and so he's no longer with us. But we just have to go back to the last words Jesus spoke probably before he ascended, close to the last words, when he said, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the promise of the Christmas season, that we behold our God who is with us, and he's with us always to the very end of the age where we will be with Him forever and eternity forevermore. Behold your God through beholding the Word and know who He is. Let's pray together. Lord, we love You. We seek You. Lord, we love You and thank You for who You are. Lord, we love You for this Word that we can know who You are and we can respond to it. And we can behold the Lord We can behold our Lord, You, and we can behold Your Son. It's all because we can read Your Word and, and we should cherish it and we should celebrate this Christmas season. So, Lord, we ask that we can do that. That each one of us can take the time to know who You are and know Your plan through Your Word. As we celebrate with family, with friends, with gifts, which are all good things, that first and foremost, we celebrate through the Word. Knowing who you are and how you saved us and how we're supposed to respond. Lord, we love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.